Thank you, Tim, and thank you all for coming out this evening. It's been a busy weekend, hasn't it? St. Patrick's Day, then the Irish winning the, the Grand Slam. I thought I had to say that. Then United winning this afternoon. Oh, and by the way, it's Mother's Day as well. But it's been a busy weekend, but thank you all for coming out. We're going to be looking again at Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And it's the last couple of verses in the chapter, verses 45 to 51. Before I read it, can I just remind you that we are approaching these four parables not from, if you like, a eschatological point of view, that is an end times point of view. We're not looking at it in terms of where does it fit into the chronology and all the rest. We're looking at it for what the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching us about how we should live. And I know that we could have debates and discussions, and if we overlay these parables with our own perspective, our own interpretation of end time events, then we could end up in great discussion and also sometimes in great confusion. So please bear in mind that these are parables that the Lord Jesus Christ is teaching and is teaching a salient and a, a relevant point. We'll start at verse 44. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is a faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household, to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming, and begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come in on a day when he is not looking for him and at that hour that he is not aware of. And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And there's a parallel passage if you want to look over in Luke's Gospel. Luke's Gospel chapter 12. I'm not going to read the whole thing, but just one verse at the very end. Again, uh, talking in th about this same parable of the faithful servant, the Lord Jesus Christ says at the end of that verse, for everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. It's the late 1960s. I was a young boy. I was a young teenager. The ship that we had boarded on was called the SS Oronce. I'm going to have to push this table back. There we go. The, the, table, uh, the ship that we had boarded was called the SS Oronce. It had left from Yokohama Harbor in Japan and was we were heading home. Within 24 hours of boarding SS Oronce, we were told that there would be a drill. It would be a drill in case it was an incident. My parents assured us it was fine. The chances of anything happening were negligible. Not to worry, 
they would look after us. But anyway, with great excitement on the day of the drill, we had to put on, the next day we had to put on our life jackets and all congregate at our muster stations and everybody was in a happy mood. Mum and Dad had brought us all up by hand and everything was fine. Don't worry, you just have to do this. It won't happen. We were three days out of Nagasaki in the middle of the ocean and the ship caught fire a serious fire. The alarm bells rang. We were all over the ship. There were five of us. My mum, my dad were doing separate things. I was watching a, a movie in the wee movie theater, a Walt Disney movie. I can still remember it to this day, those magnificent men in their flying machines. My brother and my sister were elsewhere. And absolute chaos broke out. That order of being prepared, and that order of all being ready went out the window because we didn't expect it to happen. And when it did happen, we weren't ready. 160 years ago to this very day, there was a gentleman in America, and he said that the Lord Jesus Christ would return on the 21st of March, 1843. He convinced his congregation that this would happen. He said, be prepared and get rid of everything. He's coming the day after tomorrow. And his congregation, the Baptist congregation, fully accepted what he was saying. And they went and they got rid of everything. They disposed of everything they had. They sold everything. They got themselves ready. They went up into the woods and the hills, and some went to the tops of the spires so it would be closer when the Lord came, so it would be first in the queue. The Lord didn't come. They were ready. When you go further back into the book of Thessalonians, the Apostle Paul addresses exactly the same problem. The problem was that the church in Thessalonica, those Christians, had believed that the day of the Lord had commenced and that the Lord's return was imminent, that they would be swept up in a moment of time. And Paul has to address them and tell them, no, just continue doing your work. Keep going because it may not just be yet. They were ready. And so what we're talking about over these four weeks is being ready. Being ready. Because we believe that the Lord Jesus Christ could come back at any time. He could come back tonight. On the other hand, it could be a date in the future. It will be a date in the future. And so therefore, we have got to be ready. But I wonder what would happen if we knew exactly the day he was coming. 
If, for example, in the Bible, whenever the Lord Jesus Christ had ascended back into heaven, and there was a verse in the Bible, an authentic verse from God saying, on such and such a date, at such and such a time, the Lord Jesus Christ will return again. Would that change the way we're living? If we knew that within our lifetime, He was going to come, or if we knew that it wouldn't be in our lifetime that He was going to come? Would it change our behavior? Would it change the way in which you and I carry on with our Christian faith? So how are we to live? We don't know the date, but we do know He is coming. We have told to be ready, but we don't know when it is. We just read an account of two servants. Actually, it's one servant. If you read the passage very, very carefully, whenever a cursory reading, it looks like it's talking about two different people, but it's actually the Lord Jesus Christ is talking about one person. One person who has to make a decision as to what way he is going to live. And tonight we want to focus on how we should behave and not focus on what we possess. So let's just consider for one moment. The parallel passage in Luke's gospel, which we read the tail end of, suggests that the master of the house had left to go to a wedding. And if you went to a wedding in those days, it wasn't the case, as we've looked over the last couple of weeks, that you went away for a couple of, day, uh, a couple of hours and came back for tea. Now, a wedding in those days could last from one day to seven days, or even longer, depending on the wealth of the family. So when the master of the house said, I'm going for a wedding, the servant don't know when he's coming back. It could be any time. And the master of the house says, when I'm going for this wedding, I'm going to appoint, and he appoints a servant to look after the household. Now, this doesn't make much sense to us in, in our culture, in our lifestyle. But that's the way it was at those times. He nominated a man to say that you were responsible. And this man who was faithful and wise carried on the business to which he was assigned and did it meticulously and did it properly. Can I reinforce that? The man who was faithful and wise did the job to which he was assigned and he did it meticulously and he did it carefully. As a matter of fact, what we had to do he had to look after the master's possessions. He says, and specifically, that he had to distribute the food to this large household. He had to make sure that everybody was fed, that everyone was cared for, that the possessions and so on. The list was there. It was an endless resist. He was a manager. He was looking after everything, and he did it to the best of his ability. And the Lord Jesus Christ takes that man and he contrasts him with another side. And the other side was, sure, we don't know when he's coming back. 
I was a school teacher, as many of you know. And in my last years in teaching when I was in management, I would be teaching a class and there would be a phone call would come, an urgent phone call, and the office would send somebody up for me to come down. And I'd say to the class, now, I've got to go down here to the office. And in the meantime, I want you to do. And I'd set out a task. I'd head off down to the office. I'd try to conduct my business as quickly as possible. And if it was only a, a couple of minutes, when I would come back, everybody would be doing exactly as they were told. But, you see if I was delayed? All of you have been in class at some stage. The teacher's delayed. Somebody starts messing about. And before you know it, I'm walking back up the corridor. I can hear the racket in the room from the far end of the school. And I burst open the door. And I walk in. And the first thing I would do is say, open your books. Have you done what I asked you to do? And there would be boys and girls sitting there, and they'd proudly show me the work that was done. And there were those at the back, usually at the back, who would be slinking down in their seats, dreading the return because they hadn't done what they were asked to do. And so the Lord Jesus Christ takes this man who didn't do what he was asked to do. This man who was asked to look after the household and to look after the possessions and to manage in a wise and a sensible way, a faithful way, instead he said, sure, he's not coming back yet. In other words, the time is starting to lengthen. So, and as time lengthens, just like the classroom, as time lengthens, he becomes more and more and more careless, unfaithful, unwise, to the point, actually, that he actually starts to become dishonest and starts to take the master's goods, and he starts to misuse them, and he starts to get drunk, and he starts to abuse people, he starts to beat them, and he starts to behave in a completely irrational and a wrong way. And the Lord Jesus Christ draws that immediate contrast. A wise and a faithful servant, and a foolish servant, both asked to complete a task, both asked to fulfill a task until the master comes back. The first point is that you've got to realize that there's a master here and there's a servant. You've got to realize that you've got to have that relationship with the master. And we talked about that last week. We talked about it in great detail that there is a relationship has got to be established between you and God. He, God has got to be their master in your life. And you've got to live expectant of the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder, does your life reflect an expectancy of his imminent return? Does your life reflect an expectancy 
of his imminent return. Are you like the good, faithful servant who's completing the task that he was set, doing exactly what he was asked to do? Or are you the one who's saying, sure, he hasn't been come back for 2,000 years. It could be another 2,000. Does your life reflect that? Because if we live in the anticipation of his imminent return, if we knew that the door of the classroom was going to open and the teacher would walk in within two minutes, you would behave differently. You would do what you were asked to do. You would behave in a different manner. But if you thought he's not coming back, your behavior begins to unravel. This parable causes quite a bit of difficulty when it comes to the end, interpreting it. But let me just ask you another question. Does your life reflect the faith you claim to have? And that's a very serious question. I said, claim to have. Because the Bible clearly teaches time and time again that how do we know that we have a relationship with God? How do we know, do we use that old-fashioned term which you've heard for generations, how do we know that we are saved? How do we know that we are born again? How do we know that we belong to Him? Because it says repeatedly in the Bible, it says, by your fruits you shall know them. By what they do, First John says, if you don't live by my commandments, if you ignore them, if you totally discard them, you're nothing more than a liar, to quote exactly from First John. Now, please don't misunderstand me, okay? Please don't. I'm not saying that when you and I become a Christian that we have got to live an absolutely perfect life or else we're not reflecting God's life. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is a complete and total absence, non-existence of the new life that God provides within our heart within our mind, within our soul, which compels us to behave in a completely different way. Yeah, just ask my wife as to whether or not I'm perfect. I'm not. I know you're surprised to hear that. None of us are. Absolutely none of us are. But our objective is to reflect that faith that we have and to live a life following His commandments and become more and more Christ-like in what we say and what we do. So it's not a case of, oh, I made a terrible thing today. I said something wrong. I, I did this. I may not be saved. No. Please don't misunderstand me. It's the absence complete absence of any desire to follow the teachings of the Master. And I believe that's what was happening to the 
unfaithful servant in this picture. No desire, absolutely none, to follow the teachings of the master. And the consequence for him, whenever you look upon it and you read about it, it sounds horrific. And when you look at it in Luke's gospel, we read, we read about him being whipped and, and cut in two. Cut in two? What, what are you talking about? Well, yeah, in those days we read about in Hebrews, for example, some who were sawn in half because of their faith. And we know that the Greek or Romans, and in particular the Egyptians, carried out this kind of execution where a person was cut in two. But the Lord Jesus Christ is possibly, and I just use the word possibly, playing on a word here because he says that you will be cast into the hypocrites, two-faced, two-faced, living a life but not being the person that you're meant to be, not having the real genuine faith but performing as you need to perform. And the Lord Jesus Christ says that person will be punished. But there's a reward. Yeah, I watched the rugby last night. Yes, I sat there and cheered and my wife went and did the ironing. You see, it was fantastic, wasn't it? We all were there and when they gave Johnny Sexton his standing ovation as he came off, we thought, well, well, that was brilliant. Really good. And by the way, I shouldn't even say this, even though my name is Farrell, okay, I don't like the English Farrells, okay? It's only the Irish Farrells. Oh, wait a minute, the coach of Northern Ireland, of Ireland's a Farrell. Anyway, I'm into all, forget them all I just said. But you know what I'm saying. Do these men, all of them, came to the point of reward because they not only fulfilled the task that they had been set, they not only did what they had been asked to do, but they did it in a disciplined, orderly way. The Apostle Paul picks up on this when he writes to the Corinthians. He talks about an athlete. He says that an athlete will receive his prize and will receive his prize because of the disciplined life that he embarks upon to win the race. And it's exactly the same idea. In order to win, in order to receive, it requires a disciplined, busy, Christ-like life is what we should be looking to achieve so that when he comes, we will be ready. Today's Mother's Day. I don't know if any of you received burnt toast and a half-boiled egg and a watery cup of tea this morning for breakfast. If you did, you took it and you enjoyed it. Not because, not because it what was in front of you. You could have made 10 times better yourself, but it was because of those two little beaming faces looking at you and saying, Mommy. 
and, and they busied themselves, and they made, and it was imperfect. They, they tried their best. But it, when they presented it to you as their mother, they were presenting it saying, out of gratitude, we have done this. We want to say we love you. And as we serve the Lord Jesus Christ, it's not out of a compulsion. It's not out of a fact that we might be whipped or that we might be cut in half, but it is a desire to follow him because we love him. And what we might produce may not be perfect. As a matter of fact, it may be almost imperfect. But if we do it with the right motives and the right purpose and the right objectives, and the right way, and the right manner, we're saying to him, Lord, I've done my best. So how can we be busy? How can we be busy? Well, wouldn't it be easy if there was a rule book? In order to be busy, you've got to do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, and so on. And as you do them, tick them each day. And when you've done that, then you have been busy for my sake. It would not be easy. When you get up in the morning, you have to say your prayers for three minutes, tick. You have to read your Bible for ten, tick. You have to go, and go on down the list. You know I'm being ridiculous. Because it doesn't exist. So how are we to be busy? You may be a mother of a young child listening at home right now. You have spent all day looking after that child your whole life. You haven't got any more energy to pour into that life. But you're determined that that child will receive the love that you can give, and as a mother, it is your Christian responsibility to bring up that child in a, in a manner which reflects in your life, the life of Christ. That's what Paul talks about when he says about Timothy and his grandmother. She cared for him. She was busy. You might be going to work tomorrow morning. You might be getting up and you're going to have to get up at half past six or whatever, seven o'clock in the morning. I'm retired, so I've forgotten all those days. But you might have to get up and scrape a dawn, as they say in Northern Ireland, to drive through the traffic, to get to a place of work, and you're not going to be in the best of form. It is a Monday, and it hasn't been a great weekend, and you really, how do you be busy? You do your job to the best of your ability to reflect your Christian faith in everything you say and do. It's hard at times. It's difficult. You may be a student, and you're going to school tomorrow, and it's preparation for exams and all the rest. And somebody comes up to you and says, we found the test paper in the teacher's bin. Here you are, don't tell anybody. How do you respond? 
or somebody comes along within the current climate and the current generation, and they ask you to do something which is not within your faith, which is against what you believe and who you are and the teachings of Christ, how do you respond? You take the stand. That's being busy. You may be our daughter, son, of elderly parents, and you've been looking after them, and you're broken, you're tired, you're weary. But again, tomorrow night, you go and make sure that they're fed properly, that the house is secure, that they're settled for the evening. And you do it for love of your parents, but as a Christian, it's the right thing to do. You reach out pastorally and caring for the others in your congregation. You look out for those who are in need, and you reach out to others with the message that you have a faith which makes you different. You have a faith which makes you different. And you live your life in the light of the fact that he might come home be here soon. You notice? I didn't say you come to church every night. Of course you should. Meet together and support each other. But busyness does not restrict itself to the confines of this building. And unfortunately, we today reduce our Christian work, our Christian service, our Christian busyness to this room. It's not in this room. It's out that door where we have got to be different, unique, where we have got to reflect the faithful and the wise servant and not the one who abused what he'd been given and fell away. The Lord Jesus Christ finishes in Luke's gospel, and I read the phrase to you, and I'll read it to you again. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask more. Committed, given, much required. That's what it means to be busy. To acquaint ourselves with the Word of God to have a life which is dependent upon Him, to endeavor to seek and to serve Him, not only within the confines of this room, but out there 
within our families, within our community, within every aspect, to take this wonderful message to others, to live a life which is wise and faithful, and not, and not like the ones who've lost our way. Oh, if only we had known whenever that alarm on that ship went off that it was going to happen. We knew that. We knew when the fire was going to be. Mom and Dad would have gathered the little brood of the three of us around. They'd have taken us by our hand. They'd have taken us up to Lifeboat Station. We'd have sat up there. They'd have kept us. It didn't happen like that. Because we don't know when. But we need to be prepared. And as we said last week, we need to be prepared in our relationship with God. And this week we need to be prepared so that when he does come, soon and very soon, we're busy. Busy serving him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for this message from the Lord Jesus Christ's own lips, encouraging us to be faithful and to be wise. Do not be like the foolish man. Do not be one who usurps and wastes what we have been given, but rather to take what we have been given and to use it to serve you to the best of our ability, because to us who much has been given, much will be required. And Father, we thank you that for those of us who, and those of us who are Christians, that there is an opportunity to hear those words. Well done. Well done, my good and faithful servant. And our Father, it is our heart's desire and our heart's prayer that we may reflect this as we wait for your Son. In the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus.